coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Tuesday to you. Thanks for tuning in, whether on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or on your preferred podcast platform. Love giving this show to you in whatever way you like to catch it. So anyway, so much has happened since we were last on the show. I gave you a best of last Friday, did I not? And then yesterday, of course, Memorial Day, so we gave you Arlington National Cemetery audio from ceremonies there. And uh, hopefully this week, I won't have to give you a best of Friday. Unfortunately. For those who don't know, let you behind the curtain a little bit. I'm also a real estate agent, a licensed realtor here in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, this is the busy season. So I've been, well, well busy. This show doesn't pay the bills. Real estate does. Oh, man. When the day comes that this show pays the bills, y'all think this show's good now? Just you wait. Anyway, uh, welcome. We appreciate you listening. And let's dive right on into some of the stuff that we've missed over the last few days covering because we've been busy doing other things. Obviously, most of you know by now that the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and President Joe Biden reached a tentative debt ceiling deal. I say tentative because it still has to pass the House and Senate. And as the hours pass, you can see the support within the GOP continuing to diminish, which is a bad sign for Speaker McCarthy, not so much for Dark Brandon. There are those that think, by the way, that Joe Biden let the debt ceiling get to this point on purpose. You're hearing me right, that the failure to raise the debt ceiling last fall wasn't a mistake, that it was a calculation. I'm going to read from a diary in Daily Coast. Uh, Last fall, President Biden was facing two challenges, the debt ceiling and the 2024 budget. He also wanted to advance the longstanding project of sidelining the Freedom Caucus. The question Biden's team faced was whether they could use a showdown over the debt ceiling to ease negotiations over the budget while also weakening the hold of the Freedom Caucus over Speaker McCarthy? Answer, yes and yes. Listen, make no mistake about it. On both sides of the aisle, the extremes are the least happy about a debt ceiling deal being reached. I mentioned to you last week that I personally believe that, especially on the right in particular, especially on the right, that there is a mindset towards anarchism. Blow it all up. Seriously, I believe that. Remember when anarchy used to be attributed to the far left? I mean, did the far left storm the Capitol? Has the far left ever urged the nation, ignoring its debts, and going into default? The repercussions of just those two actions alone tell you They're okay with calamity coming to our doorsteps if it means they can't win. It's that simple. Let's compare and contrast the two extremes. On the far right, again, they're okay disposing of a peaceful transition of power if they don't get their way. They're okay blowing up not just the national, but the global economy if they don't get their way. They're storming into Target and Kohl's department stores right now, destroying displays. When it was the left, in particular the LGBTQ+, we just decided we're not going to go to Chick-fil-A. We didn't storm into Chick-fil-A and 
sling Chick-fil-A sauce all over the place and stamp and stammer around and make a mess of things. What are we going to do? Toss straws around? Napkins? No, we just didn't go. It's that simple. Meanwhile, on the extreme right, you've got, I, I use the term rock star, you've got rock stars, loosely, taking videos of themselves shooting up cans of Bud Light. You have Nimrods storming into Target and Kohl's department stores and destroying property. By the way, did I see this? I want to say I saw a story, by the way, where someone who had stormed into a Target department store uh, just freaking out about the LGBTQ plus pride displays actually being on gay dating apps themselves. Yeah, here we go. Travis Akers tweeted this a day ago. Ethan Schmidt, the right-wing activist who went viral for destroying pride merchandise in Target, has been active on gay dating apps for several years. Methinks he doth protest a bit much. Is that how it goes? He is a fairly well-known MAGA activist who was even sentenced for harassing employees at a wig store that serves cancer patients. Yeah, real winner there. So seriously, this is a conversation that we need to have more often and a point we need to make from the left more often. Everybody freaks out about the term anarchy and it is usually attributed to the far left. Now listen, I'm not going to sit here and defend the absolute bat crazies on the far left. There are some that are just beyond the pale. In fact, I've had this 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 whole like circular diagram in my head that points to folks on the very far left actually meeting folks on the very far right. You have a hard time discerning between the two. But again, on the right, they want to get rid of the peaceful transition of power. And even those that don't are willing to let those that did try that get away with trying, just trying. There's this whole sad campaign to boost the morale of those who have been held and imprisoned and charged and sentenced on the right. And, of course, the debt ceiling deal exposes, again, another type of anarchy, an economic anarchy. Blow it all up. Um, no. No, we, we, don't, we don't want to do it. And on the left, the extremes on the left want things like uh, universal health care, maybe a universal basic income, and the advent of artificial intelligence, AI, is going to make that more a necessity in the coming years. They want equality for people of color, the LGBTQ+. They want a common sense, fair immigration system. Wow, extremist. <laughs> what did I leave out? Oh, yeah. Gender equality, a woman's right to bodily autonomy, just crazy stuff. Absolutely crazy stuff. Checks and balances between free market capitalism and government oversight. Yeah, I mean, I, there, there, there should be a balance there. We've experienced for the last four decades anything but. And any attempt to try and bring some control back to government oversight, as we saw over the weekend, EPA rules have reach the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says, eh, who needs clean water? 
um, humanity? I mean, we spend $800 billion a year on defense, and we continue to allow for corporate laziness and greed and passivism when it comes to dealing with those who pollute our air and land and water. Why do we spend so much money to defend a country we're willing to let capitalism trash? Yeah. Sorry, but anarchism belongs as a label to those on the right and not those on the left. You see that ideological divide in how big the right wants to see big government be versus how the left wants to see big government be. On the left, they want to see the kind of quote-unquote big government that keeps our air and water and land clean, that provides for health care for the least among us. They want to see a progressive tax system that has largely worked in this country but has been eviscerated and sabotaged in the last four decades. We used to have upward mobility in this country. We used to have opportunity in this country. And that is disappearing. And make no mistake, I think that has much to do with why we have a voting population in this country that doesn't participate as much as they should and have in the past. I think the erosion of the American dream has an impact on our mental wellness. Why even quit trying? My good friend, professor of sociology at Coker University, Mal Hyman, he tells the story all the time when he was uh, on the campaign trail. And we'll, we'll tell anyone in any conversation. He used to work as a professor in the prison industry, and he would ask the inmates of color at what point in their lives did they just give up on trying education and upward mobility, the get a, get a diploma, get a career, move on. And for a lot of them, the reality crept in between the ages of like 9 and 13 that equality is an illusion to them. They see what their parents went through and had to go through to make ends meet and the doors that would be closed to them. And it created a mindset for children aged 9 to 13? Well, now that's everywhere. That's not just a person of color thing. That is a person born into poverty or what we even consider the low middle class. So when the left talks about give big government, they're talking about bringing the American way back, that opportunity. On the right, their idea of big government is police military, and nothing else. Does, does that sound appealing to you? Does it? Not high-speed rail from end to end in a matter of hours to a day. Not functioning utilities. Hello, Texas. Not clean air and water land, but the global police force without, by the way, offering to be the global police force. And at some point in time, the American people have to realize 
why are we spending $800 billion to defend what we're trashing? And why are we spending $800 billion to defend a population we're not allowing to be educated to its fullest? Doesn't make sense, does it? So in the next segment, I want to talk a little bit about, in fact, this is going to be some crow on my part. I'm dining on crow next segment. I've been saying for a while, I'm not wildly excited about the re-election campaign for Joseph Robinette Biden. And I'm still not. It's going to be a hard sell. But I think it's time to start sharpening the message. And maybe even take a little gloat and victory lap for him, with him, on the mastery of this negotiation process because he played Kevin McCarthy in the GOP. And all you need for proof is to see who's doing the bitching. That's next. Welcome back to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you listen on your preferred podcast platform. Thanks for doing that. Hopefully you've liked and you're following the show, so you get updates every time I do an episode, right? Which is normally five days a week, although I have been... I want to say slack, but I've been really busy the last few weeks between uh, real estate work and uh, last weekend, my softball league, we had our Memorial Day weekend tournament, and I was just no gas in the tank. In fact, yesterday's episode was kind of uh, one of those where I was grateful that there was something to share audio from so that I really didn't have to do a show then either. So this week, I guess, again, I'm giving you four episodes, but yesterday was an actual episode, so there's that. This is also going to be the segment where I eat a little bit of crow because I have talked for a while about, well, since the launch of the Biden-Harris 2.0 campaign, that I'm a little concerned that it's not a winning message, it's not a winning tandem this go-round, and I'm still super nervous about this. I just am. We, we see where, where Biden's approval ratings are, and I, I think VP Harris... Kamala Harris, I think hers are as low, if not lower. It's not flashy. It's not marketable. <laughs> Yet, and I, I hate to say that as a Democrat, as someone on the left who would rather go with Team Sane versus Team Nutty as All Get Out. The American people like to be marketed to. They do. We like stylish. We like flashy. We like sizzle almost more than the steak although we like a good steak too but that's the thing i don't i don't think biden harris is steak i do think it's quality ground beef if you want to have a really good burger americans love burgers you gotta have quality ground beef not that gristly crap that you get at concession stands at softball tournaments over the weekend i'm talking about Great A USDA choice, like top prime, looks gorgeous on the meat counter, going to make fantastic burgers because it's not just 15 to 20% fat. I think the Biden-Harris ticket is quality ground beef. It ain't steak. But it's certainly not anything that the right is going to be putting on a ticket. And I do think at the end of the day, if if it is a rematch of Trump v. Biden, polls show right now Biden trails Trump, but at the end of the day, 
if and when we get through a complete first term of the Biden presidency and we go to the polls and we continue to see the results that we see from the Biden-Harris presidency, and they do a quality job reminding Americans what we got from the Trump presidency, it's an easy choice. It, it just is. It's an easy choice. I'm a realtor, so let me put this in real estate terms. If you are a kid of a certain age, you're aware of quality livability, and your mom and dad split, and dad is living in a meth lab trailer, and mom has moved into what she can afford, a decent townhouse with functional plumbing and electricity and no holes in the floor. You'd rather live with mom, wouldn't you? That's, I think, what the American people are going to be looking at in November 2024. A decent roof over our heads (laughs) with enough modern amenities versus meth lab trailer. Nothing wrong with mobile homes, but meth lab trailer? Eh, no thanks. This debt ceiling crisis? Joe Biden comes out smelling like a rose. And listen, the spin is happening on either side. But you know what's not happening on either side? The bitching. It's so hard not to notice who's doing all the complaining. The GOP wants to claim wins in non-defense spending caps. Caps they got. Reduction? They didn't. That's right. President Biden protected against $130 billion and would have been economically devastating cuts. The GOP wants to do a victory lap about work requirements being expanded for those on uh, SNAP, what used to be food stamps. Work requirement benefits went from age 49 up to 54. But here's the thing. The White House made sure it included a first-ever exemption to SNAP time limits for homeless individuals, veterans, and fostered youth. The term homeless, by the way, defined broadly to include unstable living conditions. That's right. Those exemptions will promise that roughly the same number of people are going to get benefits after the agreement as they did before. Damn it, Dark Brandon, you've done it again. Kevin McCarthy is gloating about pulling back unspent COVID money. Get this. None of the $316 billion that has already been dispersed and committed are going to be touched. The win is that money just sitting there unused is going to be reallocated. Okay, cool. The right wants to tell you that they've gutted that IRS funding, except the IRS got an $80 billion boost, and I think they're pulling back like $21 billion. Hmm, okay. Now, the one thing that the right does have right is that, and this was going to happen anyway, student loan payments are going to be restarting sooner But here's the thing, and I'm reading directly from Politico on this, but the deal would not affect Biden's student debt cancellation plan, which many Republicans had been seeking to repeal as part of the debt ceiling negotiations. That plan, which provides up to $20,000 of loan forgiveness per borrower, remains in limbo at the Supreme Court, which is expected to rule on whether it can proceed in the coming weeks. And here's my point. In this Politico article, White House officials see the deal as codifying into law what the administration had already been planning to do, which was resume collecting payments 
in September. Joe Biden, dark Brandon, you son of a you got him again. And this is why I have to keep reminding myself when I start talking doom and gloom about the re-election campaign with Biden-Harris atop the ticket. Keep doubting that guy, Ron. He just keeps managing to overcome those doubts. Dude is a skilled negotiator. He is a skilled politician. Diminished? Absolutely. He's not at the top of his game. He's not. And he came with a little bit of baggage from the 1970s and the 1980s and early 1990s, which, guess what? We're not in anymore. But all things being equal, Joe Biden needs to take a victory lap. And he needs a PR firm, damn it. He really needs to see a bounce in his polls because of this. When we come back, Republicans complaining all about it. Love it. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. By the way, I haven't mentioned this in a long time, but if you ever want to leave a comment to go on the show or come on the show, 404-919-2725. Ron at ronshowatl.com is the email address. So over the long holiday weekend, as we were all fretting whether or not this was going to be the last economically somewhat normal weekend in quite a while, and we only just started enjoying those again, right? A debt ceiling deal was reached between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden. And the thing that has to be concerning for Kevin McCarthy is he's not just hearing complaints on the right from those who did not vote for him as House Speaker. He's hearing from those who did vote for him as House Speaker. Representative Nancy Mace from South Carolina tweeting a lot, actually, over the last few days. Uh, one of the more recent. Washington is broken. After reading this bill twice, I'm voting no on the debt ceiling debacle because playing the D.C. game isn't worth selling out our kids and grandkids. Oh, man. I just love when they come to the future generation talk, you know, passing on our debt and burden while they hand out tax cuts left and right. And there's always going to be that argument, we don't have a revenue problem, we have a spending problem. Well, when you're not going to touch growing spending on defense, we grew defense spending after leaving two wars half a world away. We, we, we couldn't find anything to cut there? Nothing? Nothing? Republicans got outsmarted by a president who can't find his pants, Nancy Mace tweets. Well, if they got outsmarted by a guy who can't find his pants, what does that make Republicans? Anyway, she dives into a tweet thread. This deal normalizes record high spending started during the pandemic. I'm trying to remember who was in charge during the pandemic. Wait, it, it wasn't Joe Biden. It sets these historically high spending levels as the baseline for all future spending. The bill then grows government even more each year at about 1%. After factoring in a small cut to... Dis and by the way, what is what, what, American population growth around that time? Hmm. After factoring in a small cut to discretionary spending over the next two years, we're still talking about $6 trillion more or less in spending because of large increases in spending elsewhere. In other words... It's a wash, spending-wise, Nancy Mace tweets. 
Government grew massively over the past three years. Um, so Joe Biden's only been president for two. And actually, our deficit has been shrinking since he became president. Not the debt, but the deficit. Our annual deficit has been shrinking the last two years, Representative Mace. This growth was supposed to be emergency funding only during COVID. During this time, government grew 40% or by $2 trillion from 2019 to 2023. Let's see, $2 trillion. I think $1.6 no, I'm sorry, $1.6 trillion of that would be defense spending. Uh, during this time, government grew 40% or by $2 trillion from 2019 to 2023. And I'm not saying you take out $1.6 trillion because we're not going to spend on defense. I'm just saying that $2 trillion of government growth, and I can tell you $1.6 trillion in the last two years was spent on defense. We went from spending just over $4 trillion to spending just over $6 trillion. 10% of that, by the way, is defense increases. This deal keeps that record high spending intact and makes it the baseline for all spending. Wild, she tweets. The bill doesn't actually set a debt limit. Rather, it suspends the debt limit entirely until January 2nd, 2025. And there's no actual amount capping the debt ceiling. And let's point out, by the way, that date. January 2nd, 2025. That is months, two months after 2024 election cycle. <laughs> Dark Brandon, you son of a bitch, you did it again. Got him. Representative Mays continues, some say that there will be a $2 trillion deficit in six years, but that CBO guesstimate relies on spending caps that do not exist and are not binding in any way in this deal. And only in D.C. is it a bill clawing back small amounts of unspent COVID funds considered a cut. Ah, oh, she picked up on that. They tell us this bill cuts $41 billion in its first year, about the same amount as the unspent COVID funds. Pretty convenient, also not a cut. Yeah, she noticed that. All right, I'll give her that. And on that note, do we really think the states will send back unspent COVID funds, or will they find a way to use the money so they don't have to send it back? Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Representative Mace, because I saw earlier where there's uh, several million dollars that the state is going to spend here in Georgia to assist with the court system catching up on its COVID backlog. I mean, we want that done, right? Or do you want that money back so that court cases continue to stay backlogged? Can you please go on the record for me, ma'am? Further down the tweet thread, Nancy Mace, a $1.4 billion cut to the IRS doesn't equal $80 billion in cuts to the IRS. It's good math, ma'am. Uh, nor does it mean we are, quote, gutting the IRS or its 87,000 new hires. Allegedly, there will be $10 billion cut off top for 2024 during the appropriations process, but it's not in the bill. That money can be cut anywhere the IRS decides. Well, if it's cut, it's cut. Why do you care where the IRS cuts it? Work requirements for SNAP move from age 50 to 54 and student loan forgiveness Executive order repeal never happened. Not sure why anyone even bothered here. Nancy Mace continues, Manchin's carve-out for his pipeline is not germane to the bill. This is just your run-of-the-mill government picking winners and losers in the market and business as usual in Washington. A continuing resolution at 99% in Section 102 only applies to discretionary and provides ample time for an omnibus should all else fail. While we like the intent here, 
It's like a penny plan for discretionary, but once again, because of how it's written, it's meaningless. Fully funds every spending request by the administration, pretty much. Further down the thread, here's where she's absolutely incorrect. And just a friendly reminder, debt ceilings are about future outlays, about future spending, and how it will be financed. It's not about past spending or past obligations from one administration to another. Let that sink in. She couldn't be more wrong. And I'm glad some folks clapped back. Roseanne Stanley, you clearly have no idea what the debt ceiling is. It is about paying the bills on what is already spent, just like you using your credit card, and all of a sudden you get the bill and have to pay it. The budget is where you decide on what government will spend money on in the future. Stop lying to the American people. We know more of how this works than you may think. Most of you should not be in Congress since you have no idea how the process works. Remember that when you all lose in 2024. Michael Smith, the debt limit does not authorize new spending commitments. It simply allows the government to finance existing legal obligations that Congresses and presidents of both parties have made in the past. He sources the U.S. Treasury Department. How are you? can you be a congressman? woman and not know how deeply wrong that statement was, ma'am. So Nancy Mace is a no. Wesley Hunt is a no. He, in fact, even tweets this. I'm a no on the Biden-McCarthy debt ceiling agreement. Here's why. And he tweets, uh, let's see, Ken Buck from Colorado, Mike Waltz from Florida, Corey Mills from Florida, Russell Fry from South Carolina, uh, also voting for McCarthy speaker bid. All of these are in opposition to the deal. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene was, of course, a vocal proponent for Kevin McCarthy and, of course, got some Plum Committee assignments as a result. A little quid pro quo there. She has been tweeting to cover his flank. The debt ceiling fight was never been our only chance. This was a game of inches and we have the momentum the bill text is not even out yet. Let's wait to read the bill. In the meantime, let's honor those who died defending our freedoms this Memorial Day. That's really about all she said about the debt ceiling deal that was announced over the long weekend. Lauren Boebert was never warm to Kevin McCarthy being the speaker. She tweeted just hours ago, we got absolutely destroyed in this negotiation. Zero help from the Senate either. No sensible conservative can vote for this. This country's financial standing is already on the edge of a cliff. This current unlimited debt ceiling increase is the burst of wind that is going to send us right over. Once we fall off that cliff, there's no going back. Earlier on CNN, Biden economic advisor Bharat Ramamurtik said just what the left needs to be hearing, actually. Do you have any concerns that this won't make it through the Rules Committee? Well, look, we always expected that there would be certain pockets of opposition to this deal, but overall, it's a good deal. It's a fair deal, and we're confident that it will get to the president's desk. I want to emphasize that it accomplishes three main things. Number one, it takes the possibility of a default off the table, which mm -hmm. means we avoid an almost certain recession because of a first-ever debt default. Mm -hmm. Number two, it protects... Uh, all of the key pieces of legislation that the president signed into law in the last two years. Yep. New investments in clean energy, new investments in semiconductor manufacturing, new infrastructure investments that are being seen across the country. Yep. And third of all, it protects Social Security, it protects Medicare, it protects Medicaid, all these important programs that Americans rely on. Uh, we think it's a good, fair deal, and we expect it to get to the president's desk. Yep. Hearing you list out 
list that out is, I think, important because I heard the director, the director of the National Economic Council say today that there is something in this bill for everyone, is how she put it. Yet, I want to play for you how one of the Republicans who negotiated this deal, how he describes this. This is Dusty Johnson. He was on CNN this weekend. That is kind of the amazing part to me. There were no wins for Democrats. There is nothing after the passage of this bill that would be more liberal or more progressive than it is today. It's a remarkable conservative accomplishment. What do you say to that, Brock? Well, we respectfully disagree. I think you have to take a, a bigger picture look at all of this. Since the president has come into office uh, two and a half years ago, we've seen an incredible amount of economic progress. Remember, the uh, unemployment rate was well over 6% when he came into office. Now mm-hmm. it's 3.4%, which yep. is the lowest it's been since 1969. He has secured all of these incredible investments that are just starting to hit the economy. Yep. What we are trying to do is preserve those uh, in- investments, preserve the progress that we have made. And we've done that by essentially locking in the wins that we've gotten over the last two years. Look, we have to take a step back and realize that we're now in a period of divided government. Not everybody's going to get everything that they want. That's the reality of governing. But overall, the president has an economic vision. That economic vision is working. And what this deal allows us to do is continue to see that through over the next two years and preserve the victories that we've gotten so far. If, if Dusty Johnson's describing it as a remarkable conservative accomplishment, you disagree. Is it a remarkable progressive accomplishment or a remarkable compromise accomplishment? Just to, let's, I mean, obviously everyone is going to be able to and go, well, going to speak about it and brand it and brand the negotiations however they're going to. But how do you describe what literally we're looking at in terms of legislation now before the American people? Well, good. I would describe it as a good, fair deal that reflects the realities of divided government that helps preserve what has been an incredibly strong set of progressive accomplishments over the last two and a half years. And what Barat didn't mention, by the way, I mean, he kind of alluded to it, but he didn't mention this, by the way, when he mentioned that we avoided a debt default that would have sent this country into recession. That's the recession, essentially, that the right and their pundits have been predicting since before Joe Biden was sworn in. A lot of times the right has this power, and I'm going to give them credit here because they have this power. They have folks in key positions in our economy, in the private sector, that can will things into being. They can will a recession into being. They can will a bull market into being. They can will a bear market into being. So they've been putting it out there since Donald Trump lost the election. Well, a recession's coming. Is it? The Fed has been doing their darndest to slow down inflation. And by the way, inflation has slowed immensely in the last six months. The economy's still growing. The jobs reports keep coming out, looking good. GDP is eh, a little, little fickle, but the American consumer has some inflationary increases to catch up on. And as joblessness continues to shrink, take-home income continues to grow, and inflation continues to slow, on the diagram you'll see that that convergence and crossing. We just avoided a debt default at least through January of 2025, two months after Election Day in the 2024 presidential general election cycle. And that is no accident. 
because the master negotiator, Dark Brandon, did it to him again. You don't hear a whole lot of complaining from the left. You hear a lot of complaining from the right. Because I think they saw this as their chance. This is their opportunity to sabotage the nation's economy. They don't care that we're going to suffer through it. They just wanted something bad to happen. Either default or some draconian cuts that were going to totally derail this nation's economy and the global economy as a result, all for their political gain. And Kevin McCarthy... They gave him what we called in my family a fake box. You know, when you'd unwrap the gift wrap and you're like, ooh, this is from Rich's department store. And it was just an old box that they saved from when they did buy something at Rich's department store. And inside it, you'll find a t-shirt from Old Navy. Nothing wrong with Old Navy if they'd like to sponsor us. You can always tell when something works out best for the American people when there's complaining about it on the right. Back after this. Welcome back. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday. As I mentioned over the weekend, I uh, participated on the committee for a softball tournament that drew more than 900 players to play for more than 75, I think, teams in the local LGBTQ plus softball league's Big Pete softball tournament. So that was a fun weekend. We had uh, games at Southside Park uh, in Villa Rica and in uh, Conyers, Rockdale's uh, Johnson Park as well. Great time had by many. And uh, what else happened? Oh, have y'all seen? This has been viral now. Ed Sheeran really made his mark on Atlanta. He did a secret pop-up show at, I believe, a Sweetwater Brewery. And I was so busy that even if I had known about it, I don't think I would have been able to get to it just because I was so busy. And I met I met Ed once before. Super nice guy. Very huggy. He likes to hug. I like hugs. I do. I love hugs. And, okay, maybe this is a little TMI, but being a gay man, I like hugs from straight guys. There's just something about it. I don't, I mean, it's not sexual. It's just, I don't know. It's comforting. Not that I don't like hugs from women. I love hugs from women. Y'all are very huggable when you want to be, and I respect when you don't. Anyway, Ed Sheeran did a pop-up show at Sweetwater. There's also, and I'm trying, I'm having a hard time determining if this is true or not. If anyone saw this in person, please let me know. Uh, at Ron Show ATL on Twitter, 404-919-2725. Text or call and confirm. There is video of what appears to be Ed Sheeran at Mary's in East Atlanta Village, a local, mostly gay bar. It's a quirky bar, so I don't know if it's necessarily gay, but it just kind of is gay by default. It's quirky. I love Mary's. Um... I thought, I swear swear to you, I thought I saw Ed Sheeran at Atlanta Eagle near Ainsley Mall. I swear to you, we had our opening party, our registration party at the Eagle on Friday night, and I swear to you, I thought I saw someone who looked like Ed Sheeran at Atlanta Eagle. But I don't think that could be... Anyway, if you spotted Ed Sheeran at a K-Bar in Atlanta over the weekend, please, by all means, reach out, confirm tonight. I've seen that making the rounds on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm looking at the video, and I just can't make out where this place is. But I'm going to pay more attention when I go to Mary's next time to see if I can't confirm the interior that I see in that video. Uh, Let's see what else over the week. Well, it wasn't all, uh, you know, joy and glamour in and around Atlanta. 
we uh, have at least 17 deaths on Georgia roads and in water over the Memorial Day weekend. That is sad. Also, this uh, what appears to be a targeted shooting at a limousine-style Uber vehicle in Buckhead. Police are not yet releasing the name of the victim. It was a female. She apparently was targeted for this shooting. The limousine vehicle riddled with bullets. Victim police are telling us was in her 30s, gunned down near the intersection of Lindbergh and Adina Drive shortly before 4.30 this morning. The sad headline we got earlier today was that the Carter family has announced that former First Lady Rosalind Carter has dementia. Oh, it's just heartbreaking. Uh, Their statement, the family made the decision to announce this now, and it aligned with her lifetime of selfless work. That according to Paige Alexander, the chief executive of the Atlanta-based Carter Center. They wanted to do this now to tell her story and to lead the conversation about dementia and what caregiving means. The family added, she's enjoying spring in Plains and visits with loved ones. Uh, Their statement continued, one in 10 older Americans have dementia, a condition that affects overall mental health. We recognize, as she did more than half a century ago, that stigma is often a barrier that keeps individuals and their families from seeking and getting much-needed support. We hope sharing our family's news will increase important conversations at kitchen tables and in doctor's offices around the country. You'll remember back in February that the family also had announced that her husband, former President Jimmy Carter, uh, had decided against any further medical treatment and entered home hospice care. Being the grandson of someone who suffered from dementia, Alzheimer's specifically, I can't tell you just how hard that is for a family to deal with. Now, in my grandfather's case, he was in his 50s when he was diagnosed and passed away about eight or nine years after the diagnosis. But those were a long, trying eight or nine years for the family. Rosalind, given her age, I, I, don't, I don't foresee that sort of scenario playing out. And, and at her age, I, I would think, I'm no doctor, I would imagine dementia is more common. When they mention one in 10 older Americans, I, I'm sure it's precipitously higher in her age bracket. But still, just a, a sad tale. And I don't know why, I'm thinking of the end of the notebook, and it just, ugh, spoiler alert, the way they both, Oh, anyway, just getting goosebumps and getting all wispy-eyed thinking about this. By the way, that movie gets me every time, every time, every time. Such a sad, sweet, loving story, as is the the Carter story. Jimmy and Rosalind and their, (laughs) their romance and their longevity and just how sweet and cute they are. My thoughts are with the, the Carter family and the, the Greater Plains community as they continue to surround that family with love and support as the lives of both appear to be drawing to a close. We've got lots more to talk about later in the week. Uh, the Cop City price tag apparently going up for us taxpayers. Um, are, are we going to have any more to say about this? And would it even matter? We've got lots more to discuss. 
Stone Mountain and Rebel Flags. So much more to cover. Unfortunately, I'm out of time for the day. I will see you tomorrow here again, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, and on your podcast platform. Have a great one.